Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to John chapter 3. I'm going to show you something that is very theological in a sense. Please don't be scared. I am, but don't you be. What I'm really showing you is how the Bible views reality. And I'm going to show you what Jesus says in terms... I'm I'm going to really flesh it out. So bear with me. This is a bit... But, but if you understand this, from now on, when someone uses the phrase, the kingdom of God, you're going to know what it is. And the next time you pray the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Say that with me. Thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What are you talking about? You're going to know. You're going to know what it is you just prayed. Holy Spirit, open the word to us. Open our eyes to see the kingdom of God. Lord, may we be filled with faith, filled with hope. Lord, with the joy and strength that comes from knowing you are guiding all things into your perfect will. We love you, Lord. We honor you. And I pray for the word to open and for the grace that I would get out of the way and your word would come forth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 3, I'll start at verse 1. I'm going to go down to verse 10. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is Now, born, what does it really say? Born from above is what it says. It does not say again. Translators do that for a reason I'll explain in a minute. But it's born from above. He cannot see the what? See that? He's talking to this this Sanhedrin member who's a Pharisee. And he's saying, unless you are born from above, you can't see the kingdom of God. Now, that is a, that, what does he mean by that? Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? See, he, got, he doesn't know what Jesus is saying when he talks about being born from above. So he asks, you're supposed to be born, uh, you know, a second time? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, literally, amen, amen. I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the, and the Spirit, he cannot enter into what? There it is again. You can't enter into the kingdom of God. And then he makes, let's read verse 6 out loud. This is just a fabulous verse. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Boy, that one, that one can can do a number on you. That's a great verse. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Born from above. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone. How many? Everyone. 
Every person who is born from above is going to be moved by the Holy Spirit like the wind drives the leaves of a tree. You follow that? Every one of us. Jesus is introducing to him an entirely new way of living with God. This is a Pharisee. This is a, a guy who is trying sincerely to please God by keeping all the rules of the law so that God won't be angry, so that they'll be obedient. It's not a wrong attitude. This isn't a bad attitude he has. He's trying to obey. And Jesus says, you have to have something new happen inside of you. And when it does, the Holy Spirit will now lead you and guide you and work within you. It's a new walk. Jesus brought, you got to get a hold of this, something entirely new. He introduced a new era in, in spiritual history. You can't go back to the law. You can't go back to those kinds of, that kind of walk with God. He intended all of us to live a new way. He's not just a teacher who kind of amped things up a little bit. He initiated a whole new season. What if I told you that you could be guided by God just like Jesus was guided by God? What if I told you that the same power which was at work through Jesus was available to work through you today? Would you believe me? Would you want a relationship with God like that? Now let me ask the same question, the same questions again, but this time let me ask them another way. What if Jesus told you you could be guided by God like he was? What if he told you that the same power which is, was at work through him was available to you? Now, would you believe? Would his words awaken in you a hunger for a relationship with God like that? Because today as we listen to this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, we'll hear Jesus offer these amazing gifts to all of us. We'll hear him invite everyone who believes in him to enter his kingdom and experience those realities now. He says they're available now. Say now. Yeah, he's, I'll show you. He's talking about something that's future. And he says, those things can happen now. And among us, who among us doesn't need such guidance? And who doesn't long to have God's power work in and through us just like it was at work in and through Jesus? The truth Jesus taught that night should become much more than fact, a fact we retain in our minds. It's a promise we need to spend the rest of our lives learning to put into practice. We need to spend the rest of our lives. You hear this? And, and you'll see why in a minute. This is something you have to be dogged about. You have to, be, you have to say, I am going to pursue what Jesus said is possible. And I will not be discouraged. I will not be defeated. I will pick myself up and I will lay hold of the Lord and I will move forward again. But I will not let what Jesus promises be, be I, won't, I won't turn away from it. I say that because every time we look at what Jesus says, it is so astounding, so big, so remarkable that, that you, you almost go, Oh, I, 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 can't, I can't see that. I, I don't know anybody like that. And you just can become cynical. You can become withdrawn. Or you've tried, you've stepped out, you've tried to lay hold of things, and it didn't work the way you thought it did. And so you just, out of maybe defeat, discouragement, maybe shame, maybe whatever, you just pull back and say, I don't know. And we can so easily drop into a low-level 
of, of, of living with the power of God. And be, be, if not content with it, at least used to it. So whenever someone does what I'm doing today, and I'm, in the, I'm joining you in this, by the way, and says, here's what he says. It's almost a, whoa, ah, what am I supposed to do with that? Here's what we're supposed to do with that. We're supposed to rise up and lay hold of it again by faith. And if we fall, we get up and we lay hold of it again. And we lay hold of it again. And that's how you grow. That's how you grow. It's the person who says, no, been there, done that, tried that, not going to go there again. That's the person who stops. You're done. There's a humility. Almost, you could call it a stupidity. In men and women who walk with God, they just keep on saying, I heard him say it. I know it's true. I don't know what's wrong, but I'm going to try again. That kind of humility, that kind of grace is what causes people to grow, and you do grow. I'll just say this here. I don't know why. Years ago, uh, Mary and I were around when the vineyard was beginning. I actually knew John Wimber a bit. I mean, he taught in a bunch of classes I had uh, at, at Fuller Seminary, and so I, I would listen to him. He was—he just had a little—he was just starting. Actually, I knew him before he had a church, and he started the Vineyard. And um, he was reading the Bible, and he kept asking people, "How come we aren't doing the stuff?" And he meant by that the healings and the why, why don't we see the stuff? How do you do the stuff? And um, nobody was doing the stuff, and so he wanted to do the stuff. You want to see that stuff happen. I mean, like Jesus said, you know. And um, so he started out with a little church, and he, and he a little 600, but uh, he, he started out, and he began to pray for the sick. And he said, we, don't, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have any idea, but we just, we just tried. Just, just start. And he said, frankly, for the first year or two, he said, the only thing that happened is our, our, he, our prayer team got sick. You know, they'd catch the colds, they'd be praying for it. <laughs> we didn't see anybody healed. He said, nothing happened. And he said, but we often caught whatever we were praying for. <laughs> How many know that could discourage you, right? <laughs> you know, after a while, you go, this just doesn't work. You know, and how many people... And don't raise your hands. How many people have said, okay, I'll step out and I'm going to pray for something. And you believed God for something and it didn't happen. And, and you got hurt and frightened and, and condemned and angry and said, I'll never do that again. God, if you aren't going to follow through, I did my part. You do, you know, this kind of deal. And you lock up and you stop. That is the, that, that's the end of your growth. What happened with, with Wimber and the, and, the, and, the, and the vineyard was that they stayed at it. They kept making mistakes. And then every so often, you do it right. And you go, well, what did we just do? How did that happen, you know? <laughs> what, what did you, how did you pray? What did you say? What did you, you know? And in the course of it, they learned how to pray for the sick. And the healing rates went way up. You don't heal, everybody doesn't, you know, let's just face it, I don't know anybody that has everybody that you pray for, well, other than Jesus. And there have been moments when I've heard of things, but it's, it's unusual. It's, qu- it's quite the battle. But the rates went up because of what? Humility. Just humility and faith. I know what he says, and, and I don't know why it's not working, but we're going to keep trying until it does. That attitude is what causes men and women to rise up and begin to really press the boundaries, begin to really move things to another level. When Jesus promises us, I'll show you what he promises. 
When you hear what he promises, it's just stunning. And if I react, you know, and, 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 and defensively, I will never lay hold of it. But if you and I will have the humility and the faith that just says, okay, I see what you say, Jesus. Here we go. And you just move forward in your own walk, your own way, what he puts in front of you. I promise you, you will grow. And I promise you, it doesn't get smaller, it gets bigger. You will see more, not less. Do you hear? Do you believe? Amen. All right. To protect himself from being seen by anyone who might report him to the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus came at night to meet with Jesus. Jesus didn't waste any time in telling this powerful religious leader that God needed to miraculously transform his heart before he could even begin to understand the new way of life that Jesus had come to make possible. That business about being born from above is what God does inside us. He explained this using familiar passages drawn from everyday life. But Nicodemus still didn't understand. He told him, unless someone is born from above, he cannot behold the kingdom of God. When Nicodemus heard the word born, he asked how an old man could be born since he cannot enter into the womb of his mother and be born a second time. His confused response is why translators often translate a word that means and means nothing else but from above as again. But Nicodemus' confusion should not be allowed to change Jesus' meaning. He spoke of being born from above, not born again. And then he explained that in order for that to happen, a person must be born of water and born of the Spirit. I believe Jesus chose these terms to describe what happened to him personally when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. That event was a unique moment in spiritual history. And it deepened the meaning of baptism for all who would follow Jesus in the future. Unlike every other human being, he had no sins to confess, nor did he need to ask the Father for mercy. His baptism was not about repentance or washing away sin. Yet he definitely felt the need to be baptized. For him, being immersed underwater must have been a symbolic burial, an act by which he surrendered to the path the Father placed before him, a path which led to the cross. Do you follow what I just said? Before this, uh, first of all, Jewish ritual washing is just ceremonial washing, washing away whatever kind of ceremonial uncleanness you have. John the Baptist said, well, you need to stand there and ask God to wash away your sins because you're sinners. You need to repent and I'll, I'll wash you. So it's a washing that John is doing, a repentance. I'm sorry for my sins, God. Wash them away. But Jesus, when he stands there in the water and he presents himself to his, to his cousin, John, John the Baptist, he says, baptize me. And John says, you should baptize me. You don't have, you don't have anything to confess. And Jesus says, no, I need to do this. I need to do this. What was happening? Jesus was submitting to the path that lay before him. This was the moment he put his foot on the path of the, toward the cross. He has not before. He's been the eldest son of a family. He's been, he's, he's, he's been, he's been a hard worker. He's been a fine man. Uh, sinless. This is where the ministry begins. This is where everything begins. Right now in this water is where it starts. So he shows up and he says, John, in effect, bury me. And I believe that it's Jesus who changed for all Christians the meaning of baptism. Jesus says, bury me. So the water now became a grave. 
not just a washing. It became a grave and he was laid down and he was raised up. He died and he said, Father, I know if I follow your plan, if I submit to you, I know where I'll end up. Bury me. And he came up out of the water and what happened? Heavens opened and from above, born from above, the spirit came down upon him, did he not? And filled him. That's the moment Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want you to see what he's pointing to. Jesus says you and I need to have happen to us what happened to him. That's what's going on here. So what do I, what do I have to do? When he calls me, he calls me to complete surrender. To, to the path to the cross. Yes, wash away my sins because I've got them plenty. And I need them washed away. But it's more than that for a Christian. We don't just say wash away, forgive my sins. When we're baptized... We're being buried with Christ. We're dying. And what comes up out of that water is a disciple sold out to whatever plan God has for him and for her. Do you follow this? May I point out how different this is than what we would call the sinner's prayer? I'm not against the sinner's prayer, but it's shallow. It just doesn't hit what Jesus goes after. He says, if anyone comes after me, he must what? Pick up his cross daily and follow me. This was the call for the kingdom. This is what Jesus invites us to. Not just wash away your sins. You belong to me. And you're going to serve me. And you're going to live for me. And I'm going to lead you to a cross. Now. Cross full of life. Full of joy. Full of redemption of, of people and everything else. But it'll be selfless. It'll be costly. It'll be you living as I guide you. Not the way you guide. You won't promote, pursue your own goals. You'll pursue mine. And I will actually drive you like the wind. My spirit will lead you and inspire you and power you. And you'll be like I am. As I follow the Father, you'll follow me through the Holy Spirit. And I will use you powerfully. Come and be born of water. Does that make sense? And then what's the second part of it? Three people said yes. I do hope. (laughs) Anyway. God. Um. When he came up out of the water, then what? Then the second step took place. There was two things in that water. One is full surrender. Up he comes and the heavens open and from above, he is born of the Spirit. Spirit comes down and he is filled as a living temple. He, this is the man Jesus. Yes, he's the divine son of God, but that, that's, that's his spirit. But as the, the man now who has come and been incarnated among us, He's baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit of God now. And it's by this indwelling power that Jesus did everything he did. He restrained himself as the divine Son of God. He did not use those powers. He limited himself to us. So when you watch Jesus, hold your hat. When you watch Jesus, you're watching what a a man or woman full of the Holy Spirit can do. You see what I said when I said it's almost frustrating? When you realize what he's given to us and what he invites us to and what the potential for you and I to walk in, when we see what can be done, it can be frustrating or we can say, I'm coming. (laughs) Here I come. Lord, pick me up every time I fall, but I'm going to lay hold of all I can. I'm going to lay hold of all I can. Two things then. Born of water means what? Say full surrender. surrender. 
to the path of the cross. Born, born of, the, of spirit means baptized, indwelt, filled with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Hallelujah. All right, that's what we do to be born from above. By surrendering to God's will, a cross awaited Jesus, and he knew it. But for him, baptism took on a much deeper meaning, complete surrender. And from that moment on, his example has changed for us the meaning of our baptism as well. For all humans except Jesus, baptism still involves repentance and a plea that God would wash away our sin. But now it also calls each of us to do what he did, which means surrender our lives to the plan God has for us, knowing that in one form or another, that plan will lead to a life of self-denial and service. In other words, in baptism, we follow Jesus by embracing our own cross. There, but there is another spiritual reality, and that's what I just described, the filling of the Spirit. Following Jesus, the new Christian reality, what Jesus came to bring is not just a little prayer by which you get into heaven. Men and women in the Old Testament are in heaven who, who had faith, who repented and had faith. You understand that? But Jesus said, I brought something new. I brought something so that John the Baptist was the greatest, he said, of that old season. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. In other words, there's new potential now. I have brought something new, something can happen to you, something is available to you that was not available for John. I've changed things. Wednesday, at that moment, God prepared the human Jesus for, uh, for Jesus truly became human, even though his spirit was the divine son of God, for the ministry that lay ahead of him. And he, when he told Nicodemus that he must be born of water and the spirit, he was telling him that the same thing must happen to him. He too must fully surrender and embrace a cross. He must be baptized in the Holy Spirit in order to see and fully uh, spiritually understand and enter into the new work that God was now doing in the earth. For Nicodemus to be changed, there would have to be a human decision and a divine response. The water and the spirit, a deep surrender and a powerful indwelling. When Jesus told this Pharisee, why, then he told him why such surrender and empowerment were necessary. In effect, he said, human effort can only produce human results. Those things which please God must be produced by his spirit. He said, that which is born from the flesh is flesh. And that which is born from the spirit is spirit. As a Pharisee, Nicodemus was earnestly trying to please God by keeping even the smallest details of the law of Moses. But by this statement, Jesus was telling him that all such efforts are futile. Those deeds that we initiate and do in our own strength inevitably fall short of God's goal. Can anyone say yes to that? Yes. That doesn't mean that everything we do in the flesh is evil. It simply means it's misguided and powerless. Which from my experience of my own is almost close to evil. <laughs> the worst mistakes I've made have been out of fear. The, the deeds that please God must be initiated by him and empowered by his spirit. Our human desire to obey his commands is a right attitude, but to actually be successful requires that we have an active relationship with him. You see this? One more. Having stated the principle that only God can produce in and through us that which pleases God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus in effect told Nicodemus, so don't be surprised when I tell you, you must experience this miraculous transformation because it's only after that happens that God will be able to guide you and produce his works through you 
instead of you trying to guide yourself by the rules of the law. God wants people who are moved by his spirit just as the leaves of a tree are moved by the wind. You can't see either the wind or the spirit, but you can see their effect. Like the wind blowing the leaves of a tree in whatever direction it wishes, so also the Holy Spirit moves upon those who are born from above and directs them as he wishes. When Jesus used this illustration to invite Nicodemus to a relationship with God in which he would guide and empower him, he would no longer be in control of his own life, but be led by the Spirit. How many of you would say, I've been born from above? Then you and I are to be led and moved by what? We are to be living in an ongoing communication and relationship with the Spirit of God who guides us in what we do. We're constantly seeking, listening, following Him, moving out in what He tells us to do. That's our life. That's not spiritual weirdness. You know, you, you, you talk to some people who know nothing about this, and you say, well, I felt the Lord spoke to me. And I will say there are people who run around saying God told them things that make God look bad. And, and uh, the things that apparently God tells them is just nuts. Uh, so people say that way too much. I know that. Boy, do I know that. On the other hand, you and I are to be listening to the Lord in the many ways he speaks to us. Seeking his guidance, listening to his voice, and following what he tells us. That is our life. That is not for a few eccentrics. That is not for the highly spiritual among us. That is for the person who's been born from above. For that is how Jesus functioned himself. He said, I do nothing. I do nothing that I don't see the Father do. I don't say anything. I don't hear the Father say. Was he blown by the wind of the Spirit? He was led and constantly moving. You and I are to be like him. That's the calling. Is this frustrating? Is it frightening or is it exciting? A little of all, huh? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Here's the challenge. For many of us, these promises are very familiar. We've read them many times. We know these truths and even believe them. But some of us have yet to experience these realities as a normal part of our lives. Some of us don't know where to start and others have tried but feel that they failed. This level of relationship which Jesus promised to Nicodemus feels like an unattainable ideal. A goal we'll never reach this side of heaven. So being reminded of these truths can be painful. We hesitate to let that hope awaken for fear that we will only meet further disappointment. I don't want any hands, but I, I'll bet that I'm talking to some people who say, oh, pastor, don't waken that hope in me again. I've tried and I failed and I'm, I've been disappointed. I don't let it awaken again. Why? Because it's the truth. It's the truth. And, and you are no failure for having tried and, and, and in your mind failed. That's how we learn. That's how you grow. If we can accept failure and, 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 and doing it wrong and learning from that, that's how we will grow into the, at least to some measure of what the Lord has for us. Yet this painful choice is the very point at which real faith rises up and chooses to hear the truth again. 
chooses to believe again, chooses to try again. And because it doesn't give up, real faith continues to lay hold of more. It takes another step deeper. It learns something new. Until with the passing of time, that person begins to act like Jesus and the presence of the Spirit guide and guides and empowers them, just like Jesus said they would. Jesus brought to earth something new. He made possible an entirely new level of relationship with God, which no one had ever experienced before. All through history, there had always been good people who obeyed God by faith and who accomplished amazing things by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when the Son of God became a man, he brought with him what he called the kingdom of God. Would you say kingdom of God once more? Yeah, that phrase. And invited us to join him in that kingdom. But in order to do so, he said we would have to undergo a radical change inside. He said God must come to dwell in us until our bodies literally become his temple. When he tried to explain this to Nicodemus, he compared this miracle to a birth. He said just as there are, is a physical birth by which our physical body is born, there must be a spiritual birth by which God's spiritual presence must come alive within us. Otherwise, he said, we cannot take part in this kingdom. In fact, we won't even recognize it when we see it. When that interchange takes place in a person, he said, it would profoundly change the way they live. God's spirit would direct them like the wind moves the leaves of a tree. They would be spirit-led, spirit-driven, spirit-empowered. In other words, they would interact with God in a living relationship with him, like Jesus' own relationship with the Father. You and I need to grasp this truth. By his death and resurrection, Jesus opened a door to a new walk with God, which no one had ever experienced before. A page in spiritual history was turned, and the human race entered into a new chapter of God's plan. New power is now available. New possibilities are offered. All humans are invited to a new depth of relationship with God. But there are still many believers who don't seem to know this exists, or they think it died out with the early church, or that it belongs only to the most spiritual among us. Yet when we listen again to this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, we'll discover it's not true. He was introducing the new normal, the kingdom of God. Now I want to explain that term, kingdom of God. The term kingdom of God is, first of all, the title the Bible gives to that future age when the resurrected Jesus returns to earth. I'm going to give you more definition on that in a minute. When Jesus talks about it, first, the first use of that term is a future, a future age, a messianic kingdom. In the book of Revelation, you see God, the Father, seated on a throne, and he has a scroll in his hand. you remember this? And you see the four and five there. And he's got this great scroll. It says it's written on both sides of the scroll, meaning there's an awful lot of material in this scroll. It has seven seals, remember? It's all sealed up. And then the cry goes out, who is worthy to open this scroll? Yeah. Well... People are always asking, what's the scroll? What's, what's written on that thing? And if you go to Costco and buy one of the books, it will tell you that it's something like the, the deed to planet Earth. You know, kind of, it's a cool guess, but it's just that. It's a guess. Uh, it is not the deed to planet Earth. I'll tell you what it is, because it's quite evident if you understand the whole flow of the Bible. When Jesus came the first time, he fulfilled a very important section of scripture. There is a description all through the prophets that the Messiah would come and suffer and die. 
But there is much more material in the prophets about the Messiah's coming and setting up the glorious kingdom of God. You follow this? In which the whole earth will be filled. Uh, Isaiah says that, that the planet will be, will be literally baptized in the Holy Spirit. He says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a day. It says that, it says that the, the animals and the plants will be changed. Uh, that that uh, animals will cease to be carnivorous. Um, you can, and a child can play by the adder's, adder's nest, you know, and, and not be bitten. Isn't that going to be great? Yes. Go out and pet a snake. <laughs> Take me a little while to warm up to that. <laughs> but I guess it's okay. Um, you, the, the, thing, the, the, the planet will, be, will heal. And literally the, uh, the ecology will heal. Uh, so the planet will heal. Well, this is not a new planet yet. There's not a new planet yet, but the planet will heal. Uh, it will be prosperous. It will be peaceful. Uh, all of those things, there'll be no, the sickness will be gone and, 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 those, and, and people will still die, by the way, and I'll explain that in a minute. Some people will uh, during this season, but it's a miraculous season. That is, first of all, what he means by the kingdom of God. So when you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, one of the meanings, one of the meanings of that is, Lord God, I wait for the return of Jesus Christ. Maranatha. Maranatha, Jesus, come soon. Come and set up your glorious kingdom, your kingdom of righteousness on this planet. Did you know you were playing that, praying that? Hallelujah. Amen. Not everybody, that's, that is, that's why we're having this. All right. Speaking of that time, Isaiah says, and I just quoted that, uh, God's goodness will be evident everywhere around us. Even the plants and animals will be affected, but the day has not yet come. It's still only a hope we long for. Yet Jesus told Nicodemus that the power, here, listen to this, the power of that future kingdom was already at work through him, through, him, through Jesus. What would someday be true for the whole earth could now be true for all who believed in him. By his cross and resurrection, he would change what is possible. He would initiate a new season in which we can walk with God at the same depth that we will walk with him then. Hebrews 6, 5 calls it the powers of the age to come have come upon us. Say the powers of the age to come. What age to come? That messianic one. That one. It's, Jesus is telling us that if you and I believe in him, we can be born from above, filled with the spirit, and we can now individually, the earth isn't yet, but I can, you can, I can walk in the same available Holy Spirit. I can have those same realities, the same wisdom, the same guidance, the same comfort, the same protection. I can have what's going to be mine in the Messianic age. Now. Remember how I said it's almost frustrating? When you look at it that big and you go, seriously. Yeah, he is serious. That's the issue. He's serious. Now let me, let's define this. From God's point of view, human history can be divided into five distinct chapters or seasons. We need to understand these in order to understand what Jesus meant by the term kingdom of God. Chapter one, and I'll just run through these. 
the unbroken fellowship with God, which Adam and Eve experienced before they, they sinned. I don't know how long that was. Maybe it was a day and a half. Maybe it was 40 years. We have no idea. But Adam and Eve went, had a season in which they had not sinned. And they lived in that garden. And I believe they were enclosed with the, the Shekinah glory of God. And the Father would walk, the Lord Jesus actually, pre-incarnate Jesus would walk with them in the garden, the cool of the day. I mean, what a season. What a season. But that's one chapter. Number two. Chapter 2, this is the period between the Garden of Eden and the resurrection of Christ. Human effort to obey God fails, and the, a family is prepared for the Messiah. This is the Old Testament season. Um, we were trying to obey God, we're trying to walk with Him. Uh, it's proven certainly that we can't please Him by obedience, uh, which it has to be by repentance and faith. And in the course of it all, there is a family prepared. For the Messiah. Goes from Abraham. Goes to the tribe of Judah. Goes to the family of David. Comes to Mary. The mother of Jesus. Chapter 3. God's house is filled with many children. This is a season you and I are living in. Of gathering in children. The atonement releases king, the kingdom blessings. There is an overlapping of ages. The old and the new. This is the period between Jesus' first coming as a lamb and his second coming as a lion, including Armageddon. That's the chapter you are in right now. The old is still here, isn't it? We are watching sin and sickness. We're actually watching things in, in one dimension get worse. Just seems like the whole planet's coming apart, doesn't it? There's, there's plagues rising up. There's storms uh, rising up that are just of a magnitude nobody's ever seen before. It seems like the whole planet's just kind of wearing down. It's like one of those old cars, you know, and it starts breaking down, and once it goes, everything goes. I mean, the shocks, the brakes, the, you name it. it the, and it's like the, the planet, the old is wearing down. That's all right. It's part of the deal. But the new is also here. Meanwhile, the presence and power of God is available to us as it will be in the future. So, so people are getting healed. People are getting saved. People are being pulled out of darkness. Redemption has taken place. People are getting rescued left and right. God is moving over the planet. What did I just hear? 175,000 new believers, new Christians a day on planet Earth. China is now the largest Christian nation on Earth. You know, uh, I mean, they, you've, got, you've, got, you've, got, you've got this sweeping the planet. You, all of this is going on in the midst of the dying, troubling thing moving toward that last battle. The overlapping ages, you see it? We're living in both worlds. Chapter 4. This is the 1,000 year period between the return of Christ and the final judgment. God's kingdom comes to earth and resurrected believers will minister and govern the large population of unbelievers that survives the events of the last days. That will be you. You'll be there. That's what you're getting trained for now. Salvation and death will still be taking place. Chapter 4 is the kingdom of God. Chapter 5, God will destroy the old universe and create a new one, which like our resurrected bodies will be immortal. Sin, sorrow, and death will no longer afflict the children of God. They will have unbroken fellowship with the Father and the Son and live immersed in the glory of the Holy Spirit. The final number of people saved is complete. That's when he says, at one point he says, and 
the, the whole universe comes and it says, heaven and earth fled away from before the presence of the Lord and were found no more. That means they disintegrate. And then, and, the la- and then chapter 21 of Revelation, and there was a new heaven. God created a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, literally a resurrected one. Because what's happening now in, the last, in that last stage of which we'll live is God will let his glory free. The Shekinah glory, the full unreduced Shekinah glory of God will fill the universe and it will consume everything that God hasn't resurrected into a new level. You will be resurrected. You'll love it. The planet itself will be resurrected into a level that can bear that kind of glory. That's our final future. Do those chapters make sense? So when you say, Father, may thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Father, I pray for that great kingdom. But you'll notice you're not just praying for that day to come in the future. You're also saying, may that power, may that kingdom, may that reality come into my family, come into my church, come into me, come into my day. I want to walk in the powers of the age to come today. Did you know you were praying that? Isn't that cool? Yeah, you're praying both. I long for the day, but come now. Come now, kingdom power. Many Christians assume that the final judgment of the new heavens and earth occur immediately after Jesus returned. But the book of Revelation clearly states, you know, I'm going to skip down. Let's just go on down to something new. Do you, you want to read? Okay, well, I... All right, all right. Uh, all right. I more or less have told you this. Uh, the heavens and earth occur immediately. Don't most of us think that the minute Jesus comes, heaven arrives? You're wrong. The Bible doesn't say that. When Jesus arrives, it starts a thousand year messianic kingdom in which all those prophecies on that scroll get fulfilled. It's going to be a cool time and you will be there. But the book of Revelation clearly states that between Armageddon and the final judgment, There will be a thousand year period of time. John doesn't describe what takes place during those years except to say that the resurrected believers will reign with Christ. Who who they will rule and why is, is not said. But Jesus does. He talks about it a lot. And so does Paul. Actually, unless this period we often call the millennium literally takes place, an an enormous portion of Old Testament prophecy will go unfulfilled. The events the prophets describe can't be spiritualized away. They picture specific events, buildings, wars, and blessings. And it is this 1,000-year period, this future kingdom in which the Messiah will rule the earth through his resurrected believers. This season in which God's spirit envelops the earth that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. Think about it. It's those realities, he said, we can experience as believers now. Say it one more time. Thy kingdom come. Thy Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. With this in mind, listen to these, these parables with new understanding. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. To become a new wineskin, we must be born from above. 
And when we are, God will fill us with the wine of his spirit. He will guide us and work through us with a power that cannot be contained by the old wineskins of the law of Moses. The powers of the age to come have come. Jesus offers us something new. Is it an option? Jesus didn't present this as an option to Nicodemus. He told him, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again or born from above. He wanted Nicodemus to follow in his footsteps. He wanted him to fully surrender to God's will for him and receive the powerful indwelling of God's spirit. And then when he had taken those two steps of surrender and receiving, Jesus said he would enter into the kingdom of God. And he says the same to us today. How will we respond? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.